The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to see everybody tonight. And uh, big welcome, <coughs> excuse me, big welcome to anybody who's in the building at the center for the first time. I know it's not always easy to walk in the door of a new place, so it's just great to have everyone here. And we've been, uh, these last couple of months now, Shelley and I and others who have been teaching, leading the weekly practice groups, we've been reflecting on the intersection of love and wisdom, or how it's not in a more kind of immediate sense, it's not really possible to be present with our experience, without the quality of love. And so it's just an interesting, like in terms of people interested in Buddhist awareness practice, the sort of central teaching that the Buddha built his sort of teachings around to be mindfully aware, to be present with things as they are. It's just really interesting for us to reflect how when I'm, you know, when there are some moments of being present, there's that quality of kindness is right there. Not that I'm trying to be kind, but I can't really be intimate with the conditions of my life without that beautiful quality of kindness. And it has all the sort of different facets of kindness. So when forgiveness would be the appropriate way of showing up, then forgiveness is there if the appropriate quality would be gratitude or some aspect of appreciation, then that's right there. Or tenderness, compassion, appreciation, seeing what's good and beautiful. And love is, as you know, if you've been coming to these talks the last few weeks, one of the things that I've mentioned is love really has that nimbleness. When we're in that place where that basic goodness basic friendliness of our heart is being trusted, is active, you'll see that kind of nimbleness. So you interact with one person and it's like that quality of goodness, love, whatever you want to call it, it just knows how to meet that one person. And then you meet another person who's maybe in a difficult place and somehow you know how to show up for that person. And then this other thing happens, you know how to show up for that. And that's really the telltale sign of that heart-mind balance, the wisdom-compassion balance, is that nimbleness. And I think it's really useful to see it that way. It, you know, in the tradition, we often, um, yeah, I mean, depending on our particular personality and how our mind-heart has been conditioned, we might be one of the more analytical types, a little dry, or we might be one of the real moist types, you know, more of a emotional or heart-based person. And sometimes we even think of this in terms of gender, right? So more masculine, more feminine, depending. But as a practitioner, somebody interested in being skillful and being awake and being engaged as a like a skillful engagement in our lives, in our worlds, in our communities. We really need both. We really need this balance. 
And so it's going to look different, like how we practice is going to look different depending on our inclination. And it's not like we have to get rid of our strength, whatever your strength. Maybe you have a mind that's particularly good at deconstructing and seeing that nothing whatsoever should be grasped, nothing whatsoever should be mistakenly taken as me or mine, taking it personally that the heart, the mind, shouldn't be identified with drama, right? So that's your mind, your heart's particular strength. And it's not like we have to somehow like, oh, no, I'm wrong, that's not right. It's really about how to help that, what is already basically wholesome, but how to bring it into a stronger balance, and how to bring some moisture into that understanding that nothing whatsoever should be grasped, where that attachment isn't really helpful ever, clinging attachment. How to, how to have that, under, that deep understanding without being averse to life or without rejecting, throwing anything out of our heart. And if you're somebody with the opposite kind of personality where you're, you're already good at including, already good at seeing that, oh yeah, this belongs too saying yes to life, seeing the beauty, seeing the goodness, being moved by suffering, right? So that kind of personality tends to, you know, feel really intimate but get pushed around by the joys and sorrows at life, right? The other, the shadow of that first personality type is to be indifferent, like life is a mess, so I'm not going to be attached, I'm just going to let stuff happen, because it isn't worth grasping. It isn't worth, and we mistake that the sort of wholesomeness of that understanding for getting distant from being for being indifferent. That's not where we're going with the practice. So that's the shadow, and the shadow of the other kind is just to be fried by all the joys and sorrows, to be pushed around, right? And so, how do feel what we feel, like if you're more that other type where you feel a lot and you want to keep including, you want to be close, you don't want to throw anything out of your heart, right? But how to be able to be intimate without being pushed around, how to be in a wild world, a messy world where there really is injustice, things aren't fair, people are being mistreated, being oppressed, how to be in that kind of world where really terrible things happen to good folks without being crushed by the suffering in the world. That's right. And then if you're somebody who's good with sort of the coolness of non-attachment, how to let yourself get really close. Like, can that deep and wise understanding that nothing whatsoever, the mind doesn't need to get fixed or grasped. Can I take that understanding and fall in love, raise kids, get involved in social justice issues to make the world a better place? Can I get in the messiness of life and maintain that cool quality of equanimity, the cool quality of non-attachment? Right? So that's why, you know, it's easy for us to want to judge, 
you know, spirit, different people's spiritual practice, but it's hard enough to know what's good medicine for ourselves, you know, to follow our own path. Because it's, it's not just like figuring out what personality type I am and then going that way. Because who I am, what kind of personality shows up, it's different in different situations in my life. I might be kind of a more analytical type in one particular part of my life and a more moist, juicy type in another place in my life, right? We're different in different places. So how to come into balance, how to be intimate, how to be not attached, how to be engaged and not attached together, that's going to look different for me at different places in my life as I get older, but also even in different, at the same time, in different, around different groups of friends, different communities, how I'm practicing being free, which means I'm free to be intimate. I'm not dependent on being distant. I'm free to, uh, I'm also free of not being attached. So we're really bringing the two together, as one teacher calls it, the marriage of intimacy and non-attachment. I think that's a really good, simple definition. You know, somebody asks, so what's all this Buddhist stuff about that you're into? And you can say, well, I'm interested in this coming together, right, where I can really be intimate, undefended, not afraid to feel and see what I'm feeling and seeing, not afraid to be engaged and show up in all the places in my life, and not be attached, not be pushed around, or oppressed by the highs and lows, the good and bad that comes with life. I mean, isn't that what we want? So that if we're there with a dear friend who's really suffering or a loved one who's dying, we can really be there in a nimble, skillful, quite alive way. We're not oppressed by their dying. We know how to feel, how to connect, how to be intimate without being weighed down by what's happening. I mean, this is what activists need, whether you're an activist raising children or an activist doing anti-racism work or economic justice work or environmental work. Right? We need to be not afraid of the hopelessness, not afraid of the very real injustice. Right? So we have to be like really see it as it is not be idealistic, because when we're idealistic, then we feel betrayed when things don't change as fast as we want them to change. It's same with like intimate relationships, marriages or partnerships that you're in. Right? I mean, it's a lot like the wider world. It's a mess. I don't know. <laughs> anybody here? Anybody here have a perfect relationship, <laughs> intimate relationship? I mean, they don't really happen. Except in our imaginings, you know, until we kind of really wake up to the relationship, they're messy because even the the more trust there is, then the more tends to come to the surface because we feel safe to not like hide, to not pretend. And it's really a wild scene. I mean, I've been uh, married for quite a long time now, 20 five years and living with my partner even longer than that. And um, yeah, it's just a wild scene. Really good. It's (laughs) really alive. 
I feel like a humble student of like what I'm talking about, like how to be really intimate and unafraid, unattached, how to really sh- keep showing up. Because it's like I really see that tendency, it's strong, I mean, with my personality type, when it seems difficult to sort of go to that like being distant. Like, okay, this could really hurt, so I'm not going to care. You know, I'm going to be distant. I'm going to be that sort of island that is above it all or beyond it all or whatever. And how to really stay engaged, stay connected, keep seeing the other person's humanity, you know, seeing that I'm doing the best, this person's doing the best they can, that we're in this dance together, that, you know, leaving this dance just means being in another dance, whether it's the dance of being single or the dance of being in a different relationship. There's no way out of the dance. You know, we have a body and mind. We're in the dance all the way through. So the question is, is this dance good enough? I mean, sometimes it's not. Sometimes, you know, we need to leave the job, leave the marriage, leave the place we're living, whatever. It, that's the right or wholesome thing to do. But first we should ask the question, is this stance good enough to be a teacher for me? Can I learn here in this stance? Like that marriage of intimacy and non-attachment. And this is where we discover all these different qualities of love. In the next couple of weeks I'll talk about one of these particular aspects of love we don't necessarily talk as much about. The Pali word is mudita. Some of you know that word. And it gets translated as appreciative joy or sympathetic joy or gladness or just joy sometimes too. And it's really this capacity, and you can check it out right now, right? the capacity to be sensitive to what's beautiful and what's good. And you know, a lot of the times we feel like life hasn't delivered to me enough goodness. And so we're in this more or less envious mode, like I'm not going to notice the beauty out there because I want it myself. So to appreciate that somebody else is happy, to appreciate that somebody else, even something silly or ordinary, like somebody has a nice sweater on, May you be happy. You know, how nice it is that you have that nice sweater. I mean, it could be as simple as that. Or, you know, you're feeling old and you see somebody who looks young. You go, ah. Instead of like, oh, I'm old. You know, just to kind of look and say, oh, how nice that there are young people in the crowd. This is actually relatively new. Common Ground's been around for 25 years. When I was younger, you know, because I started the center with my partner, Wynn, and uh, when I was younger, in the early days of Common Ground, you know, everyone looked so old. Because <laughs> the stereotype, and it was really true, you know, it was sort of mostly white, 40, 50, 60 year old, progressive types, you know, who kind of did this style of Buddhist practice. And it's changed over the years, which is great, a little bit more diverse, at least in that direction. But. Uh, but it's nice that, you know, just see the young people, you know, it's just, but it's like we look in different ways 
like, is it an oh, poor me, kind of having an older body? Or is it like, you know, when we see a, a child playing, you know, just to kind of really let that mudita, that capacity of this heart and mind to appreciate. When you just see a child playing, or even a squirrel sort of doing its thing out in the yard. Like, oh yeah, may you be happy. May your happiness continue. May it increase. May it never end. Now we know that that squirrel is not going to be happy forever. But the wish is quite pure. Same with the child. right? I mean, children can really suffer too. But that simple wish where we see something good and our response to seeing something good is that may it continue. May it even get better. And it doesn't mean we're being idealistic or stupid. It just means that I can recognize goodness. I can recognize beauty. I can recognize comfort. I can recognize success. And I can appreciate it. And that appreciation is is that uplifting really has an expansive quality. And we really need this quality of love we call appreciation, gratitude, appreciative joy, gladness. We really need it because on the one hand, it's very healing. It's, it's amazing. Like when I do that as a more formal reflection for, excuse me, for a while, like a period of time, like an hour set or even off and on for days at a time, it will be sort of a main reflection, especially when I'm on retreat. I might take it up for a couple of days. Just trying to keep that particular emotion of appreciative joy in mind. So that then the you'd say the object of meditation is moment by moment. Now, of course, the mind gets distracted, but still it's the intention. Moment by moment, remembering or keeping in mind this capacity, this emotional capacity to appreciate what's beautiful, to recognize and appreciate it. However ordinary it is, however extraordinary it is, just to keep it going. Sometimes we have to sort of like develop radar. And then we can even bring things to mind when you forget. That's like a positive use of memory. right? We'll remember my niece who's doing this or you know, a grandniece, a grandnephew that, you know, I saw playing a few days ago, or my cat is a very good source. You know, we have wood floors at my house, and there's just like little flaws, little knots in the wood. And when my cat has a lot of energy, it sort of like wants to play with a, you know, little knot in the wood. And it was sort of like be walking by, and then it would sort of jump, like, (laughs) what's that? (laughs) And then pounce. And that kind of a, that live wire that we see, especially in younger cats, puppies, you know, that can be a cause for appreciation. Just like when I feed the cat, when we feed the cat, just appreciating that simple happiness that the cat has eating its food, like that makes me happy. It's like contagious, isn't it? When we see, when we let ourselves appreciate ordinary happiness, it gets multiplied. And it's very healing that it it sort of heals this heart of any kind of fixation on stinginess, not 
being treated fairly, we get lifted out of those heavy, contracted states of mind for a period of time. And we realize that's not the whole truth. doesn't mean that there isn't some truth to like having been betrayed, having been mistreated or oppressed. There may be some real truth to the injustices we have faced in our lives, but the tendency of our mind with those kind of wounds, whatever the particular wound might be, is to keep looking at the pain and at the pain and at the pain. So we're reinforcing not just that wound, but the story which can become quite toxic. It's not, like I said, that the story isn't true, but it isn't the whole truth. So part of the mudita, the appreciative joy practice, is to balance off what might be out of balance. You know, we might be particularly good at seeing what's wrong in the room. Like, why is that person moving? You know, or why is that person not sitting up straight? Or, you know, whatever. Who is that person? Who invited them? You know, it's sort of like we have all these kind of judgments. That person's too old to be here. That person's too young to be here. You know, or whatever we might think. It's easy for us to notice what's off, what's wrong. It's not so much the habit of the mind to appreciate what's beautiful, what's good, what's wholesome, the happiness, the ordinary happiness that people might be experiencing. (laughs) The Dalai Lama had a great line about mudita. I read this a long time ago where he said, mudita increases your odds for happiness by about, I think he said six billion to one, but I think the population of the earth is now more like seven or eight billion. I forget what it is. But because that means at any moment, anybody's happiness can be a cause for you being happy, right? So if you just heard about somebody being reunited with their lost dog, you know, you read one of those clickbait things on Facebook or whatever, you know, and about somebody who's left their, lost their dog in a state park a hundred miles away and then somehow the dog found its way home, you know, you can just let that land like, oh yeah, because we have ima- this is like a wholesome use of imagination. Oh yeah, that was probably sweet when they got reunited. Whatever that happiness is, may it somehow continue. May it increase, may it never end. May and it really connects us, connects the heart, the mind, with the truth that the world. It really breaks the negative view that the world is just a mess. And I just want to get out of here. You know, and then out of here might be lost in some media, like watching TV, just so that I don't have to feel, I don't have to be sensitive. Or out of here might be suicide, or out of here might be imagining that like the world sucks and I want to get to, and then we just fill in the blank, heaven or some transcendent state where I don't have to be in this yucky place. But that really destroys our life, thinking that this is, Right? We give up on our only life that we have, this life right here. This is the life that we're living right now. And are we so sure that 
the appropriate stance is for us to be tight, is there a way, like, is it appropriate? It's almost fe- it almost can feel, this is why it's an important spiritual practice, it can almost feel like joy is inappropriate because there is very real suffering. At any moment, you know, there are a lot of beings, human beings, other animals, there are a lot of beings being mistreated or a lot of beings in really difficult states, really suffering. So does that mean that joy is off limits? Because it would be somehow betraying the very real suffering of other people? Or is it okay for a human being, any being, to feel quite alive and free and awake and generous and peaceful, even in this messy and unfair world. That's a really important reflection because in superficial ways we can sort of feel because people are suffering, I should suffer. But how would, like if you were one of those people in a really difficult place, really suffering, really confused, really, you know, hurting and emotionally, physically, in all ways. And then your dear friend, you realize they're really suffering because you're suffering. Does that help you? No. I don't, I don't really want other people to suffer when I'm suffering. I want, if they can help me, I definitely want them to help me. But it doesn't help me for them to be oppressed, for them to suffer, because I'm suffering, Right? If anything, what I'd want is someone to be really able to be close with me when I'm suffering and then for them to model not suffering because I'm suffering. I really get that you're suffering. I mean, as much as I can. I really get it. And I'm really practicing not being afraid of your suffering. I'm really practicing seeing, hearing, feeling what I'm seeing, hearing, and feeling without being afraid, without getting tight around what's going on with you. That's really helpful because then they're modeling basically being relaxed. When things are really, really hard, they're modeling like being relaxed. Now, of course, it's easier for them to relax than it will be for us if we're the one in the middle of the difficulty, right? But still, it's a helpful thing. You know, where I learned this is, you know, uh, sometimes, not that, uh, not that uncommon for me for, to be called or to be asked to visit somebody who's dying. You know, in some ways, my role here in the community, not just teaching the Buddhist teachings, but also, you know, when people are dying or some crisis, I sometimes get asked to show up. And it was like, well, I never got trained how to show up in those sort of situations. So I kind of learned slowly, you know, just by in, in the experience of, like, because I don't know what to say, but I do know how to be present, right? Because I practice. I've been practicing for 37 years, like, how to be present, how to just be in the moment, feel what I'm feeling, see what I'm feeling, feel the body sitting, feel the body standing, whatever it's doing, feel the breath, feel what's in the room, and basically not be afraid of whatever's moving. 
internally, externally, right? See clearly as best as possible and normalize it. Ah, sometimes it's like this. So that's what I learned to do in those situations. Not go into them thinking I have to have the right thing to say that's going to fix or make things better, but instead go into the space and and, ba- and do the best I can to model being intimate, to model being relaxed, to model being open and unafraid and sensitive. Oh yeah, sometimes it's like this. Sometimes it's like this. Do I need to rely on defense, defensiveness or armor? Do I need to rely on like having something to say? Or can I be really relaxed in the silence, even if it's awkward? And this is how we take care of each other. But, you know, going back to mudita, you know, part of the emphasis, the reason why we take up some different reflections, like loving, uh, like uh, appreciative joy, (coughs) is to see what we're not seeing. Because we might not recognize the habit of our mind to be fixated on being critical, being judgmental, seeing what's not working, seeing what's not good. We may not notice that habit of mind unless we cultivate the habit of seeing what's good. And then it really starts to stand out. You know, when we cultivate being generous, we really start to notice all the little in big ways, we can be stingy. And it's the same thing with just appreciating what's beautiful, appreciating what's good. Then we notice that it's just easier for us to notice that critical, judgmental, negative habit habits, really, in our mind. Oh, what does it have to be that way? The Buddha called uh, mudita the mind's deliverance of gladness. Right? The mind's deliverance of gladness. So for the next few weeks, you might want to take it up as a kind of homework, which means right now, you know, you're going to have to resolve in your mind, not so much to see what's good, but to remember, like to be curious. Because as I've been saying off and on, these last months, it, it's a karmic act, what we're paying attention to in any moment. We don't realize it. Like We do realize that about our actions. Like if I'm doing something to harm somebody because I want to get back at them, it's pretty obvious if somebody were to ask us, like, are there going to be consequences for that action? You know, we, we kind of know, yeah, there's probably going to be some negative consequences for me you know, acting out in that way. But we don't recognize it in the more subtle world of what we're paying attention to. But there are consequences to what we pay attention to. So to whatever degree we can increase the habit, deepen the habit to notice, to pay attention to what's beautiful, to what we can appreciate, they're going to be, that's like a seed we're planting. There are going to be consequences it's going to change who we are. Just like if I asked you, okay, really make a resolve to notice all the problems around you all day long. Just keep noticing. Oh, yeah, I don't like that. That should, 
that should be fixed, that's not good. I mean, of course, that kind of discriminating wisdom is useful in balance, right? But most of us don't need to deepen that habit. Maybe some of you do. Some of you who are in this sort of everything's great, you know, kind of rosy, then you might need to kind of sharpen that critical quality of the mind that can really name, no, no, this is not good. This needs to stop. This is harming other people, right? There's a place for that kind of speaking the truth of what the causes of suffering, really speaking the truth about how injustice works. We need that both internally in terms of our own habit energies, but out in our communities too, to kind of really name things, point things out. But we also need just as strong that other habit. And you might start noticing some of your friends will be better at this than you. And then part of what can help you get better at that is noticing how the, what they notice. Like, oh, isn't that interesting that this is what my friend just noticed in this situation. You both walk into the same party or the same, you know, whatever. You and your sister walk into the, your parents' house or whatever. And like what you notice and what this other person notices. And that can really, like, and you have, you end up having two realities. Like your reality is being irritated by all the negative things you've, you've noticed. And somebody else tends to be a lot happier because they're noticing this and they're noticing that. Oh, mom, what a nice apron you have. Right? And we're not sort of making it more than what it is. It's just sort of sweet that she, you know, feels good enough about her life to have a nice apron which she's cooking or whatever it is you know it doesn't really matter what it is but it's sort of sweet to notice that you know cuz we could say oh this person is totally full of themselves like i'll just give you an example um my spouse uh bought something today a piece of clothes uh piece of clothing and uh you know i didn't say anything negative about it but i i could have just been generous because it it looks nice you know I, it looks like a fun thing to have and i could have just said oh that looks great you know that would have been just to really shine the light on that aspect of it like how this person went out found something functional that makes them feel good that will make them like be happy to show up in their workspace with their new jacket. And uh, I could have, my awareness, wisdom awareness, could have shined a light on that facet of reality, that simple happiness. Because shopping's not always fun and not always easy, right? And to somehow be able to find something that felt good enough to purchase and to kind of stick our neck out, and go for it, and and I could have shined my light on that, as opposed to I don't know what I did exactly, but it was just sort of like being playful, and and it's just just to sort of start to highlight the choices that we we make because of the force of our habits, right? And like, why not be generous with our comments? 
why not take responsibility for contributing in these simple ways by what we notice and what we respond to and how we respond? And you can even sort of play a little bit as you're leaving tonight in 20 minutes, you know, when we end. And like just the little interactions, just the silly little interactions you have around the shoes or walking out and someone's got their car by your car, they've got, they're unlocking their bicycle where you're, and just what you might say about their bike lock or their helmet. And whether you say it or not, just what you're noticing. Like someone might look really fit and they got a really nice bike and you get the sense that they bike a lot. You know, it's just like how nice it is to see a body that's real fit. Or, you know, you could be just noticing where you have extra weight or where you're like unfit. My wife and I were dancing a little last night. We had some friends over and then afterward we were just played some music and we were just dancing. And I realized how out of shape I am. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but like, so it's just so easy. Like any moment can go either way. It can be a moment of dwelling on what's not good, on what we wish were was better, right? Or it can be a moment of appreciating. And it's not about one being right or wrong. It's about what would bring my heart, my mind better into a better balance right now? What would be a skillful thing to pay attention to right now? And the thing is, if we don't formally practice mudita, just appreciating what's good, then we won't be able to bring our heart, our mind into balance because we won't have that skill set. So we actually have to formally practice noticing what's good. And I'll just end with this, like how you can do this. Like for example, if you're going to sit for 30 minutes, you might take five minutes or so at the beginning of your sit and just do it as a formal reflection where you just, you're just sitting there in a comfortable way and you're practicing noticing what's good. And you might just say, okay, who can I bring to mind where I can remember, I can reflect on what's good, what's good going on in their life. So there may be a friend who's recently fallen in love with another person. And they're right now, it may not last, but right now, <laughs> they're happy, right? So we can bring that to mind. I, I, you know, and so it could be just like all we have is the mental image of this friend, and we, you know, in the last m- time we talked, and they were full of excitement and joy. And so, oh, may your happiness continue. May it increase. May it never end. And it's so interesting. Like if you're doing this with me right now, maybe trying to like, I don't have anybody to bring to mind. Like, that's so interesting, isn't it? That we can't think of anything near us, around us, even something in the news that we can bring to mind. Now, that tells us something. Is there, is what's happening in the world around you so deplete of any kind of ordinary goodness that you can't bring it to mind? And what happens when you do bring it to mind and keep it in mind? And you're just... So this is where you're really keeping in mind that quality of the heart that appreciates. And it has that feeling of expansion. Now when it gets some momentum, you won't even need that particular mental image. 
right? It will be the feeling of appreciation itself that's your meditation object. Initially, you're going to need a particular memory or something you're seeing, something you're sensing. Oh, yeah, that's really good. Like even the fact that a bunch of people, whatever we are, 80 people or so, who would gather like this, you know, on a Sunday evening, you know, that's kind of nice that people, this many people at this corner in Minneapolis would want to come together and talk about the heart and mind and how to be a more skillful human being. That's kind of sweet. Now we can notice that. And just even noticing that we ourselves, each of us somehow had the intention to come here, right? That intention, whatever it was, was probably wholesome, probably good. It wasn't an evil intention that got us here tonight, right? <laughs> so like, th- we can appreciate that wholesome impulse to come. That was good. And the fact that other people have that, that's good. And that so many people over the years help make this place the way that it is. So, you know, we don't have to charge for anything. People just contribute in ways that make themselves happy and somehow we can support the livelihood of the teachers and pay for our office staff and have a sweet building like this. And not only that, Common Ground is in the middle. We put in about 600000 for our retreat property out in Wisconsin. We're right in the middle of a serious renovation. Hopefully some of you will get out there. I know some of you have been out there. And uh, we'll be reopening it at the end of the summer probably and chances for people just to get on to a really quiet, peaceful place in western Wisconsin, all of which will be just offered freely like we do everything here. That's really sweet, you know, that Common Ground has been able to operate this way without doing any real fundraising just because of people finding the practice valuable and contributing in a way that makes sense. That can be a real source of joy. And it's not just Common Ground that operates this way. There are other, these really beautiful things that just have organically arisen in our communities. Simple, beautiful acts of kindness and generosity and beautiful acts of forgiveness and patience that we see around us. And there really can be causes for joy in our life and healing. So it might be nice to take the last 10 minutes or so and just hear from a few of you. Questions, of course, always welcomed about the talk or about the practice, anything. But also your own, what you've been seeing about being able to appreciate what's good, how that happens, and also what gets in the way of appreciation, of gratitude. So who'd like to start us off? You can always say your name. It's nice to hear first names if you want to share. Yeah, start us off, Fred. Uh, my name is Fred. Uh, in the beginning, you talked about three different personalities. Is there uh, like a resource where I can study that more intimately? Yeah. Well, the the traditional breakdown in Buddhism, and you could just put like Buddhist personality types, and you'll get some articles on the internet. Just, but. The greedy type, deluded type, aversive type. And the way that I was talking, I was really using the more the feminine, masculine, analytical, analytical, and uh, you know, more uh, 
kind of connecting base. But that actually does line up, if you stretch it just a little, with a greedy type. It's more someone who can include and appreciate, wants to be close. And an aversive type, more the analytical type, seeing what is off, what's not good, what needs to be changed, what needs to be fixed. Yeah. But yeah, there's, and we have some good articles online. If you send me an email, I can connect you with it. But I'm trying to remember what Buddhist studies course we cover the personality types. But I do have some articles. Sharon Salzberg has a couple articles about the personality type. But if you don't find some, just Googling Buddhist personality types and Buddhism, and add Buddhism, then uh, if you don't get good response, send me an email. Yeah. Other comments? Yeah, Zach. About the personality types, okay, so um, does that have anything to do with like aversive types in I, me, and mine? Do, do, those, do those kind of fit together, like the aversive, t- or the, the mind, mind-making be, being sort of a greedy type and, and uh, me-making being sort of maybe a, an aversive type or a diluted type or something like that, and I-making being something like that? Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, that's an interesting reflection. I haven't thought about it that way, but... I think it might be fun to just explore because they are different. You know, like mine, like you said, is more, but it could go greedy and aversive, right? Because mine, like this is mine, but if I'm afraid of somebody taking it or afraid of not having it, then that would be more the aversion end. Yeah, that could be both greedy and aversive depending on the moment. Yeah, other thoughts, reflections? Yeah, you want to pass it back to Robert? Uh, Robert, today I went to a thrift store because they had, uh, I got an email that they were changing their format for clients and so forth, and it's indicated today. And so I went there, and I really didn't need anything, but I looked around, and I found an album, record album I like, and a, um, a water bottle for twins, because a friend of mine is an avid twins fan, and then I was leaving, and and also what I read today at the email was that I got 10% off. So I asked the person checking me out, and she said, no, 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 it's supposed to be later this week or later next week. And and then she smiled at me, and she says, no problem. And so I ended up paying $2.40 for something that would have cost me $5.20, which was really nice. It's just really nice that she did that. Um, another thing is that, um, well, I have a, a friend. This is, oh, what you said about uh, Donna. Uh, today I got here early enough, and my budget is really tight, so I know that I can grab a mop and pail, and I was able to do all the bathrooms, bef- mopping the floors, that is. Some David did the most work, and someone else was doing other work. So it's, you know, if my budget is that tight, I know that I can contribute in some way. And lastly, um, I got a, a mailing before a dental appointment about in March, and um, it was from my dental hygienist. And to my great surprise, it was um, that her son, her, her 23-year-old son, had died. And um, the reason she sent the notice to me, or had the office send the notice to me, is because over the many years that I've been her client, you know, she's always talked about her son, and he has my same name as well. And I didn't know what to do or what to say when I got to my appointment two weeks later after this notice. 
Um, but she always has classical music on. And I remembered exactly what was being played. And so I left there, and I, after I left and still had a classical music station on, there was something else being played that I really, really liked. And I said, that's it. I have music that she will like. And so I sent her a couple of pieces of music that I really, really like, and she sent me the most beautiful card telling me I am loved. And I know it's been such a difficult experience for her and her family, but it was just really nice. And it's these simple things, like when people do stick their necks out and, and respond, like feel, connect with that movement, it's like it's very expansive. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of difficulty, especially that last example that Robert shared with someone lost their son. You know, life is filled with these kind of tragedies. But it's the mudita that allows life energy to keep moving, like being able to appreciate, to turn, to find something beautiful, like that somebody cared enough, like you did, to bring some music, to <clears throat> give her some beautiful music. And then the fact that somebody cared about her son, cared about her enough to respond, you know, and then that allowed, gave her a chance to appreciate your goodness, right? And it just sort of builds. And now we hear the story, and then we're affected by hearing that story. And this is the sort of ripple effects of mudita. Yeah, thank you, Robert, for sharing. We have time for one more person. Other thoughts, questions that come to mind? Yeah, all the way over here. Maybe we can take turns passing it. Hi, my name's Ben. Um, tonight you used uh, the word like good to describe something. I know you meant in, in like just an uh, appreciative joy, but also um, like that word has a lot of like uh, judgment or, or connotations along with it. Like good means bad. Or um, this is favorable to me and that isn't. And that's like a really attached mindset for me. And is there, um, could you offer any advice on the pitfalls regarding that? Yeah, good question. (laughs) Which also means skillful question or wholesome. And here's the thing, in the Buddha's frame, in the Buddha's frame, morality, the difference between good and bad, Wholesome and unwholesome, skillful and unskillful. So they're synonymous terms, right? It's something that is only can only really be sensed internally because it's really about what is the effect here directly in your heart and mind. So when I'm doing this, is it leading to a contraction, a negative effect, a harming effect on my heart and mind? Or... Is it having a healing, liberating effect on my heart and mind? And so we can sometimes sense, oh yeah, this guy's Dan's doing something and it's having a negative effect in his heart. I sense it. But we don't really know for sure. But you can know for sure if you bring that mindful awareness to your mind, to your heart, you can have a pretty clear sense of what my mind is up to is unskillful or what my mind, heart is up to is skillful because I feel, sense directly the heaviness or the contraction or I sense how things are freeing up, they're getting lighter. So it's a relative, it's relative to each person. 
But we need some sort of dualistic system between what's skillful and unskillful. And you're right. You're totally right to point out that these words are loaded. But so is the word love, even the word kindness. You know, So that's why sometimes people, they use the Pali terms like metta instead of love or instead of kindness because all these words have gotten a little bit corrupted in how we use them in sort of use, you know, normal terms. Yeah, thanks for sharing with us. Let's just take a moment, let go of the words, maybe even do a few seconds of loving kindness or appreciative joy practice. Just appreciating our own, you can even put your hand if you want on your heart if that helps, but just appreciating the goodness of our own heart that got us here tonight and the goodness in our heart that wants to live in a more wholesome, healing, and generous way. May this goodness continue. May it increase. May it never end. Really appreciate that this heart is capable of being good. Capable of being kind and tender. Capable of being joyful. And again, may this goodness of the heart continue. May it increase. And may it never end. And may all the goodness in this room from the past, present, all the goodness that will set in motion in the future. May all this goodness be the cause for even more ease, more healing, more justice in our hearts and in our world. So may this be so. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.